0: Uh, today on the Oxygen Advantage podcast, we've got James Newberry from uh, Australia, one of the top uh, CrossFit athletes in Australia, maybe even in the world. So uh, welcome so much.
1: Mate, thanks for having me. I uh, really appreciate it. To, to be honest, when I when you contacted me, I was actually really excited. Uh, probably the most excited I've been for a podcast in a long time. That's great. That's great
2: to hear.
0: So it is. Thanks very much, James. It's good Pleasure. thing.
1: that And you're in isolation, so
0: it's a good time to do these types of... Uh, you know, you have you know spent time doing podcasts.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I'm uh, day twenty four of twenty eight in isolation here in Australia after doing um a bit of overseas travel for about four months. So I did two weeks in Sydney in a hotel room, and now I'm in the back end of uh, the second week in Adelaide in a home quarantine. So um, I'm ready to come out. <laughs> I'm June,
0: <laughs> and we're super excited to have you on here because. The reason is that, like I said before, I saw you doing a podcast uh, talking specifically about breathing. And since you're a top athlete and especially in CrossFit, it's very, very exciting to hear your thoughts on that. But before we kind of go into all those things, uh, let's uh, go back uh, for a brief background. And also I know you had a rough 2019 with a punctured lung and a broken back. so. How that affected your breathing uh, or not, but so uh, take us back a little bit to where it all started,
1: sure. So, uh, I actually first discovered working on breathing um, passively just to help sport. Um, when I wasn't working out back in 2016, um, I was introduced by a guy named Brian McKenzie, Um, I was actually training in uh Costa Mesa at the time getting ready for my rookie year at the CrossFit games and he was working with another athlete in the gym that I was training at and I saw them doing some some work in the corner and it was intriguing to me I love to learn um, I've got a very open mind when it comes to um, pretty much everything to be honest but uh, especially when it comes to how do I improve and optimize my performance um, so when he started talking to me about um, contrast therapy uh, talking about breathing techniques talking about you know oxygenating the tissues better and gaining more oxygen to be transported around I was like okay this is cool I need to understand more about this and um, that was my first introduction so basically I went through and I did the CrossFit Games in 2016 and once it was all done and dusted um, endurance was typically something that was you know, more in my wheelhouse rather than, um, say, you know, top end strength, um, strength was something I worked on a lot, but, uh, endurance was usually a little bit more biased towards endurance. And then after the games, I was like, man, (laughs) I need to get better at endurance. Like this, this is crazy. So I actually reached out to Brian again and I said, uh, Hey mate, like I really was intrigued. Um, with what you talked to me about in increasing performance and, and becoming more adaptive and, and being able to handle stress better and being able to recover better and being able to um, improve and boost endurance and performance and oxygenation just through breath work um, can you send me some protocols and uh, kind of just flourish from there
0: yeah i mean we had brian on we did a podcast a few months back and he also so i know he he does a lot of Uh, testing on yourself so so i'm sure you got a lot of help from from that but when you started doing that did you see other people around you taking notice or you know or or are they just saying oh that's a crazy guy because that was five years ago it's a little bit different today maybe
1: yeah when i first started it um mainly the mainly the questions i got was like what are you doing um and it was something that i introduced you know one one aspect was doing it for recovery and doing it to gain control of my breath um being able to and i love to surf as well so this was a big proponent of it too i love to surf and i wanted to be more comfortable surfing big waves so it was trying to become comfortable um and become more uh, co2 tolerant when i'm under the pump out in the surf so i know i can go you know attack bigger surf and you know, get pummeled and, and not, you know, be so fearful of dying. <laughs> so um, in the beginning, it was um, in the beginning, everyone was kind of like, oh, what are you doing? And then then it came to a competition. And, you know, the competitions from then on, just rapidly, I got better and better and better. And people started to take notice as my performance started to increase.
0: Hmm. So I know you've, you finished number five. Is that correct? On the 2019 CrossFit Games? Correct. And then I guess it was. I'm assuming it was after that you broke her back and had to puncture lung. How did did that affect your, your, did you work more or less on breathing when that happened?
1: To be honest, I actually worked a little bit more after that um, because I had a little bit of time. Um, So what happened was, um, I'll give you the the, the spiel of of, of how this happened and, and how the breath work actually did help me. But I'm just watching my battery run out. Give me literally like ten seconds, and I'm gonna grab my extension cord. One second. Do it
0: quickly. Okay.
1: Sorry about that, guys. No problem. Alrighty. I just had to get the bigger charger. So continuing on. So basically what happened was finished the 2019 games. I uh, placed fifth, um, had a great season. Um, and then from there prior to going to the uh, CrossFit games, I actually dabbled in a 70.3 triathlon and I did it to get back into training. Cause I took a bit of a break and, I was just like, oh, maybe maybe I could do this to get back into training, get a bit of a flow back. And then from there, I was like, oh, I've actually got a bit of a soft spot for triathlon. So post games, I said, oh, we should get together as a group and do a full Ironman. And from there, I was basically doing a bit of CrossFit training for maybe 15 hours a week. And then on top of that, maybe around six or seven hours of triathlon training went up into the, went up into the hills, was doing some mountain biking and some extracurricular training, came off my mountain bike, basically spearheaded a tree, um, broke a, a few spinal processes, uh, punched a lung, had a few broken ribs, bit of a concussion. And so I was just like, okay, how do I turbocharge my recovery? Like I've got an Ironman in five weeks time. Um, I'm laid up in a hospital. And I'm going to do this Ironman and basically all the doctors were just like, ah, yeah, you're not doing that. (laughs) And I was like, okay, we'll see. So I literally just went as soon as I could. Um, Basically with the punctured lung or with the pneumothorax that I had, I could only take in a breath only very partially. Like I couldn't maybe 10% of total capacity. So it was quite uncomfortable And so what I I would naturally breathe through my nose anyway, after learning how important it was originally. Um, So I tried to get a little bit more percent out of my breath every day laying laying in hospital. Um, But then the day that I got out and I was allowed to leave, I got back on, I I, I wanted to really try and figure out things that would help me bounce back as much as possible. So I got on the bike, um, the stationary bike, It was like I was still very stiff and I couldn't really move, but at least I could move my legs around and and nasal breathe through that. So every day I would do an hour and then add an hour the next day. Um, On top of that, so that was all through the nose. Um, Every day I live very close to the beach, only about 150 meters. So I would walk to the beach multiple times a day. Um, I would get in the water multiple times a day. I would sit in my float tank. Um, I would sauna probably... In an average week, probably sauna eight to 10 times. Um, I would do a lot, get a lot of sunlight, things like that. So basically, I was just turbocharging as much as I possibly could. And every day, I was gaining a little bit more breath. Um, I was gaining a little bit more percentage out of my breath. Um, and then, basically, at one particular point, I think it was on day nine or day 10 post, post, um, post accident, I went to the beach. I went into the water. Um, and at this point I was probably at about 50% breath uh, and a wave appeared out of nowhere. And at that point, I still had to kind of like turn like with everything all at once. And I was like, I can't make it back to shore. This wave is coming. Literally any sudden movement was like excruciating. And I remember just like, just fall underneath the water and, and let the wave just go over the top of you. And as I did this just natural reaction going under the water is you take a Sharp breath in. So I took a breath in, and out of nowhere, I had this almost like a sternum release, like a big sort of cracking sensation as I went under the water and I took a sharp breath. And I went from 50% to 100%, just like that. And it was the most satisfying feeling. And then from there, it was just really about trying to oxygenate my body as much as possible. I had some breath work protocols that I was following, and it was just about, you know, trying to gain some oxygen um and really just make sure that i was giving my tissues as much satisfaction as possible to try and do as much healing as i could um to try and heal my bones heal my lungs and be ready to take on this iron man five weeks later it's
0: pretty amazing it's a great story so it is
1: i'm not sure that's the
0: normal prescription from doctors to to go out go out and, and you know do big surfing after nine days in, a, in an iron man five weeks later that's that's uh, that's a different protocol that's that's an amazing recovery i'm wondering also that it's not just breathing also you mentioned sauna and, and float tanks and i know and i know the water down there i don't know what time of the year it's not that cold in, uh, in Adelaide. so it's mental it's, strength it's, as well daniel yeah yeah it's a
2: huge part
0: yeah it's an amazing recovery so and then so you don't suffer from that anymore at all because it was only two years uh-huh. ago
1: no, no, not at all. After, to be honest, after about, I would say I didn't even think about it really until, you know, maybe 21 days. 21 days after that, I was, didn't didn't feel uncomfortable, had no stiffness. Um, I was pretty well back to doing everything. I was back in the pool swimming without a big rotation in my stroke. Um, but I was back swimming after I think, two weeks um and then i went back and i got scans on my ribs um on day 16 or 17 i believe and they were yeah they were just like hmm
0: interesting right. yeah so what, what was their expectation as far as recovery because i'm thinking of uh, how breeding how important it is for recovery did they tell you a month two months three months or did they give you
1: they said six weeks, six weeks. they said They said typically uh, average person will have the bones uh, and the lungs healed within six to eight weeks. They said, we've seen people get them done in four weeks before, but just depending on the person. Um, Yeah. And I was probably around, yeah, that three week mark. Uh, But I do take my recovery quite seriously. Like I've literally set my house up to make sure I could, you know, I'm by the beach, I'm by fresh air. I've got an infrared sauna. I've got a float tank. Um, and an ice bath sitting here and I got a gym out the back. So I do, I do really um, enjoy and take, take my recovery fairly seriously. It wasn't for me. Like I love competing, but it's not the be all and end all for me. It's like, I would never want to sacrifice longevity for a gold medal. That's just not part of why, why I do what I do. Um, I love a challenge and I love to, I love to grit and to love to work hard, but For me, it was more about making sure that I could fortify myself to be able to handle the heavy training volume that we do do as CrossFitters, be able to handle the high repetitions, making sure my tissues are going to bounce back, making sure my tendons are going to be healthy, making sure like I'm just covering all my bases so I can still surf when I'm 60, 70 years old. Um, I never wanted to get to the point where I buckled myself so badly that I would come out the back end of professional sport and be left with bad knees, bad hips, bad shoulders, and, you know, just chronic Mm -hmm. fatigue potentially. So Mm -hmm. it was not something that I was really interested in, um, which is why whenever I looked at things like, you know, the importance of breath work, the importance of, you know, contrast, the importance of sleep, the importance of hydration, the importance of sunlight, all those things were things that kind of resonated with me. And I said, yeah, I can get into that Mm -hmm. for sure. Even to the point where I was sitting in the float tank, and, you know, it's probably a lot of voodoo, but I was just picturing my, my lungs healing and picturing my bones just, you know, repairing and, and things like that. And, you know, whether it helped or not, I still felt good and I still completed the Ironman five weeks later. So it worked. I think in my mind it worked. Yeah, <laughs> it worked. that's yeah. for
2: sure. I'd love to know some of your protocol. Like there's stuff there that's, you know, that we're familiar with it. We're working with it for pretty much decades in terms of recovery. The science hasn't yet caught up in some instances and even tissue injury, James, there's a few papers that whereby they got rats and they damaged the tibialis muscle, which is a muscle running down the shin. And they divided the rats into different groups. And in one group of rats, they administered carbon dioxide through the skin into the muscle. And about six weeks later, I can't remember exactly, they sacrificed all the rats. And the groups who were treated with carbon dioxide the muscle injury had had repaired. Now, you're doing breath holding, you're doing nasal breathing during physical exercise, you're doing light breathing, I'm assuming as well. And Mm -hmm. by doing that, you're increasing carbon dioxide in the blood. And as carbon dioxide increases in the blood, it slows down the release of carbon dioxide from the tissue. So you also build it up in the tissue. And when there's an increase of CO2 in the tissue, hemoglobin is going to release more oxygen to that tissue. And these are simple things that athletes could be doing, whether they are in rehabilitation or competitive athletes and sleep as well. Breathing through the nose, for example, was one of the best things that I had ever learned. Sorry there, of course, is going to be an interruption. And waking up at dry amounts, and how many athletes are waking up at dry amounts in the morning, how many athletes are having dysfunctional breathing patterns during the day and don't even realize how this is impacting their competition. So yeah. I think they've missed the, the simple stuff has been overlooked, yeah. you know, and it's nice to see it kind of getting out there. And that's why reaching out to you has been brilliant, because to see somebody actually putting it into practice, um, even though there's a few people, but they are the early adopters. Yeah. It hasn't kind of reached that stage. It's just still at the, the start of it, you know, and we'd yeah. love to see it hitting that tipping point.
1: Yeah. yeah. And honestly, I think it will. And, you know, now I don't even I don't even think about it. It's you know it's just habit to breathe through my nose. I don't have to worry about it during during the night. Like I'm I'm a nose breather all night long. Um, I even notice it in other people. Like I'll see people. I'll be talking to say for instance my brother, and he has a habit. Every now and again, he'll just do this, (sighs) and I'll just be like, "Nose man, (laughs) you just start using your nose." And you can tell you they take that reprieve. It's almost like they run out of oxygen just having a conversation and it's just i think it's just retraining it's just retraining some habits and just keeping it conscious for a little while and then after a period of time it just becomes second nature to always revert back to the nose and you know and then when obviously when when i'm when i'm in the absolute hurt locker and i'm at the i'm at peak and like fighting for the very last rep and I'm to and fro yeah like I'll revert back to Mm -hmm. mouth just get through and finish but I'll typically start every single workout through the nose as long as possible and then when push comes to shove and I'm definitely and I'm and I'm really fighting to hold on and to get reps done and to to finish the fastest time Mm -hmm. possible Mm -hmm. then I do revert but there's actually an interesting statistic that Brian and I came up with when I first started the protocols, and my protocol was two passive relaxed sessions per day. I would have an AM session and a PM session. Um, and he probably mentioned some of these protocols. I did a cadence variant in the morning and I did an apnea variant in the PM. Anytime so I the, really cadence,
2: the cadence is breathing in. Was it breathing in for five seconds or breathing out for five seconds? Or breathing in for four and breathing out for six?
1: Yeah, well, the cadence was, um, it, the ratio was one, one, two, one. So I would breathe in for five. I would hold for five, breathe out for 10, hold oh, okay. out for five. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and then basically I would increase that second count as my ability got better. So when I first did this, he gave me the protocol of it. He said, start off with 7-7-14-7, seven, 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 only through the nose and do it relaxed. I couldn't even do that. That was, I couldn't get through, he said, 10 minutes. Once you achieve 10 minutes, Doing this repetitively without feeling the need to hold or to or get a jolt out of your chest. He said, then you can move on and move it up by a second. And mm-hmm. I messaged That was him quite I a said, challenge
2: to set somebody starting off seven, seven, fourteen, seven. So you're talking about yeah. twenty eight and so seven, seven is fourteen is twenty-eight and seven. So you're talking about thirty-five, two breaths per minute. Um, I know it working with, and Daniel, you do too even premiership footballers. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying like, but high, yeah. highly trained athletes would not be able to do it. We we use no. a bold score. I don't know if Brian used it. We use a breath hold time. So we have the athletes sit down and they take a normal breath in and out and pinch their nose and hold their breath just until the first definite desire to braid. Mm. And the goal is 40 seconds. But of course, most people, the vast majority are like a good athlete will have about 20 but we need them above minimum of 25 and a goal of 40 seconds. And I suppose, James, if you've got a high both score, it means that you will have lighter breathing during physical exercise. You can do less with more. You're not going to yeah. get gassed out. Whereas you're talking about your brother and he's sighing and he has a regular breathing or he's running out of air during talking. If he does physical exercise, he's going to gas out. And that's another aspect. But we would, yeah... If, if an athlete came in with a bolt score of 30 or 40 seconds, I'd have no problem going breathing in for seven, holding for seven, out 40 and holding for seven, but yeah. we develop it. And uh, that's yeah, the interesting, you, you adapt to it.
1: Oh, hundred percent. So that's, that's interesting. You bring that up because I was like, I messaged him. I said, Brian, this is impossible. Like, I think, I think this is wrong. Am I doing this wrong? Like, am, am I reading this incorrectly? And he's like, oh man, knock it back. Go back to five. So I did five. And mind you, when I tried the seven, I just finished a workout. So I was a little bit depleted there in in terms of oxygen stores. But so I ended up doing five, then moved on to six and moved on to seven. And during these periods of doing the, the cadence work in the AM and the apnea work in the PM, I would also do four sessions a week focused on breath while working out. And this was usually just with a monostructural piece. So it could be anything from just bike, assault bike, rower, or running. Um, And those sessions would look like, for instance, my short burst session. So my CO2 tolerance session would look like 30 seconds of 90% plus effort, holding nose only during that 30 seconds as long as possible until I had to use my mouth. And then at the end of the 30 seconds, I I had one effort, max breath hold, so I had to breathe in max breath hold after max effort. And that's and that breathe in
2: and breathe in and hold or breathe out yes. and hold.
1: Sorry, breathe out and hold. So lose all my breath, hold yeah. with nothing in there. Yeah. And I would roughly get 7 7 to 10 seconds yeah. maybe. Yeah. And then I would have 30 seconds of nose breathing and then I would have to repeat it. And then I might get around about 20 to 25 seconds and then i would have to repeat it one more time Mm -hmm. so basically it'd be bike effort it would be hold 30 seconds of nose breathing hold 30 seconds of nose breathing hold and that was one effort and i had five efforts to do so that would be one session um another session i would do was uh it was a little bit longer so it was usually four rounds of seven minutes nose breathing only and i would have to ramp up my heart rate during that session Um, So basically I would work up to aerobic threshold for the first five minutes. And then every 30 seconds thereafter, nose only, I would have to bump up my heart rate by three beats a minute. Okay. So increasing wattage. Uh, When I first started this, that one in particular, I could not hold my aerobic threshold nose only. Like I had to revert to mouth before I felt like I was going to pass out. Eventually I could get my, Within six weeks of doing this, I could get my threshold, which at that time was around about 132 beats a minute aerobic. I could then hold nose only at 162 beats a minute. So, right up at the upper end of my threshold, um, nose only. And also, I could potentially maintain a conversation at that pace, too.
2: Yeah. No, it's interesting. Last, uh, sorry. Yeah. Well, I,
1: it was crazy. It was crazy. And then the last session, the third session that I would do would just be a long 40 to 60 minutes nose only maintaining around about aerobic threshold so talkative a talkative pace but not talking mouth shut, nose only and that mm-hmm. would be on any type of monostructural piece um, so that were my three active sessions or dynamic sessions and then i would use my cadence in the morning and apnea in the evening and that apnea was a ratio of one four two so i didn't have the hold at the end but it was just one four two one four two as a ratio
0: that's so- that's very extensive training i mean uh, most of the time uh, at least starting off you you start much smaller so i'm uh, i'm very impressed and uh, patrick on that when you do you did a salt bike uh, on uh, on the when you when you did 90 plus effort uh, and then you held your breath did you notice how many did you notice improvement after a week or two weeks or three weeks and you still do it because i find that very interesting because you can measure it to the you know, to the point. You can see how many meters of calories you 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 do over that that effort, and you yeah. can see your improvement.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, I went from probably in the beginning, and I have all these. This, I have some of these data points written down in in a spreadsheet somewhere from years ago. Somewhere, um, I think I still have my um, my ramp test where I showed uh, an increase or a spike in heart rate to give you my original aerobic threshold. And then yeah. my original uh, anaerobic threshold. And then you can see the change in where I was um, over the course of the first probably eight week block that we did. But initially say those 30 second max efforts, I would only get five seconds in the beginning. And then eventually I was getting to be able to hold over 10 seconds. Um, yes. The time frame in seconds was a very small you know, only f- five or six seconds. But in the degree of what we were testing, that was actually fairly, that was fairly substantial. Um, whereas I know, for instance, I could, after, after that, holding, you know, 130 beats a minute, nose only was a walk in the park like it was mm. before. I couldn't even do it. I, I mm. get to maybe 127 and have to revert to mouth.
0: I mm. think there's two components of <clears> these. <throat> I think the first one is if you're not used to breath holding, there will, it will be a mental threshold at first because you're not really improving, maybe the first couple of weeks, then you may be improving. So, how many weeks did it take for you before you saw in numbers uh, when you did the test? And then, did you see a translation into your normal workouts later on? Within about two to three weeks. Yeah. And did two it help you weeks? in your normal workouts later on? Did you feel that you had a l- Yeah. Okay.
1: Oh, like, like, black and white it was just crazy Uh, the, the control the control that i had um the the relaxed and calm demeanor that i could take into workouts was was fantastic um knowing that i could utilize for a long effort i could utilize nose breathing to set a pace for myself as well and if i had to revert to mouth breathing i would want to be sure that i was very close to the finish line um, because as soon as I revert to that, I would start chewing through a lot more energy than I would prior. Um, so if, you know, for instance, during that Ironman um, that I did, I did that except for the swimming portion, mind you, but for that Ironman, I did it all through the nose. I, I think I maybe, if anything, took, I don't know, a dozen breaths while I was trying to grab water and things like that yep. through it, but the, the the movement part on the bike and the movement part on the run only knows it's amazing.
2: It's it's amazing, Daniel. And people won't believe this, but we know it. Now, the only thing I think going in James's favor is that anatomically, James, you've got on just an observation, a really good wide facial structure, forward development of the jaws. You don't have nostrils that are like mine, pinched little nostrils. So you've got a really <laughs> good airway. And that would yep. make things easier because you might have some athlete and he's a face like mine. And he's going to go for a run with his mouth closed and he's going to go blue. So (laughs) there's, there's just those, there's a couple of aspects to it. One is if an athlete has a higher bolt score, it's easier to sustain nasal breathing during physical exercise. The second is the anatomy of the face. And the third, then of course, is fitness levels. But you hit the mark when you said six weeks, within six weeks, you were able to push yourself with nasal breathing just as much with mouth breathing. And Mm with the same air hunger because initially when you start switching from from mouth to nose breathing the air hunger ramps up a little bit Mm. and this puts people off but they don't realize that if you do your physical exercise with the mouth closed you're feeling that increased air hunger which is telling you that carbon dioxide is increased in the blood because when you do physical exercise you produce a lot more carbon dioxide so the production of carbon dioxide is increased And now switching and keeping the mouth closed, the carbon dioxide increases in the blood because it cannot get out of the body so quickly enough. But Mm -hmm. this is where the brain adapts to the higher tolerance of carbon dioxide. And carbon dioxide is the primary stimulus to breathe. So how many athletes in any games have disproportionate breathlessness? Something is holding them back and they don't put it down to their breathing. And it's all trainable. And that's the best thing about it. And the breath holes, I think, are a no-brainer too, you know. I wrote a book called The Oxygen Advantage back, oh, it's back six years ago, but I started writing it 10 years ago.
1: I (laughs) listened. It's
2: very few people were doing it in sports at the time, and it's starting to get in there. But breath holes make so much sense, because even from the mental component of it, like Daniel said, you're holding your breath. It's a primordial feeling of suffocation. and there's a mental component that you're to relax into it but as you hold your breath especially after an exhale without doing the hyperventilation beforehand as you hold your breath carbon dioxide increases in the blood increases blood flow to the brain and this is a calming effect so it has been described as a narcotic gas and we use it with people with panic disorder people with anxiety people with recovery and even increasing heart rate variability so the science is getting out there so Yeah.
1: So this is really, this is really, really interesting. Well, so uh, even some more statistics that we, that came out and mind you, it was, it was also becoming okay with how to control the release of the breath. I was the, 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 the gear, the gearing, Mm. the gearing of release of breath was difficult because all I knew was in, out in, out, in, out. I didn't know how to let it come slowly and let it come back in slowly knowing that it's coming and I don't need to rush because I don't need the oxygen just yet. It was, that was, a, that was something that helped me a lot with the cadence and apnea was learning how to control the, the rate at which I, which I inhaled and the rate at which I exhaled. Because I think a lot of people get caught up in the exhale and exhaling too quickly Mm. um typically because they just let Mm. it go through the mouth all the time um so i think my best ever score that i did over 10 minutes and mind you probably the last minute i had to really hold on but i ended up getting the 12s so 12 second inhale 12 second hold 24 sec uh, sorry 12 second inhale 12 second inhale 12 second hold 24 second exhale 12 second hold yeah,
2: 60 Mm. one breath Mm. yep And this was a a master yoga instructor back in the day before Western, before yoga came into the Western world, master yoga instructors were breathing to one breath per minute and they could sustain it for one hour. Now, all of that information has got lost and it seemed to get lost when it was transmitted through the generations. And we would love to see it coming back, but it's amazing. And I'd say to anybody listening, give that a go, what James was doing. (laughs) <laughs> and don't do it with mouth breathing and don't do it with these massive full big breaths it's a very subtle gentle breathing in for 12 seconds even though you're, you're likely to fill your lungs but very subtly over the course of 12 seconds holding for 12 seconds breathing out for 24 seconds holding for 12
1: seconds that's a challenge trying it try and get at least a minute or two try and try try for two minutes it's <laughs> it's, it's difficult it's very difficult but like those types of things really did help me gain control of stressful situations. And I could apply that to many things. I could apply it in the water when I was surfing or competing out in the water. I could apply it during uh, workouts where things would get stressful and, you know, it just come back to breath. So whenever I was stressed, the most basic thing that I had to think about whenever I was, you know, maybe losing control or losing focus is like, just breathe breathe. That's it. No matter what, if you breathe, you'll be okay. And you'll get through it. And, you know, the, the Ironman itself was a good test because, you know, I went into that knowing that, you know, roughly a first attempt Ironman, people would be getting anywhere from 12 to 13 hours. And I was, you know, quite interested to see where, where I would come, not, not being a, you know, a a hardcore endurance athlete, and you'd
2: never done it before this is your first Ironman ever
1: oh yeah probably in terms of triathlon it was like my third triathlon yeah and we were all just like yeah why not let's give this thing a go (laughs) like let's give a full distance Ironman a go and I actually roped in about 12 other people to come over and do it with me so and they were all I was like hey guys you want to go do an Ironman and so I think we had five or six we had six people do the the full distance and we had I think six people do the 70.3 on that day and our goal as a group was to go there and and just to complete it we we weren't looking for a particular time but then we also got together and d- did some of this nasal breathing leading in to the iron man itself and that would be going on long rides and um you know trying to nasal breathe but we would also chat a lot obviously just to keep things going but a lot of the time when you're you know climbing hills and stuff would be the aim would it's be the to nasal breathe yeah yeah,
2: yeah. But, but even for shorting, switching, sorry, Daniel, um, switching to mouth breathing, even for brief periods of time is, is necessary when the intensity gets too much, because if the air hunger is excruciating, it's too uncomfortable. And yeah. I'd often say to, to elite athletes, because I think there is a fear for athletes to introduce anything new, such as breathing, because they feel that there's a risk and it's going to disrupt everything that they're doing. But the one thing about the breath is that you can kind of interweave it in different places that you can do it in a way that you can just gently condition your, your body to it. And as you say, it's conditioning body, but it's also conditioning mind.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think the thing that people lose sight of here, and especially when I talk to people about it, is that's the reason why I had my three, dy- my three dynamic sessions that I locked in on breath and there was control there for the nose. And then I also gained my intensity, which I need for CrossFit, in my CrossFit sessions as well. So people would say to me, oh, if I only use my nose, I get no intensity and we need intensity for CrossFit. Otherwise, we can't adapt there. I was like, yeah, that's fine. I get it completely. Have some training sessions where, yes, you do have to get to the point where it becomes so excruciating. You have to use your mouth. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You can, yeah. But you can always start out at a decent pace um, using your nose. And then when you have to revert, revert. But then just put a couple of extra Sessions that don't take, you know, longer than 40 minutes. Um, If you're a full-time athlete, that's not a long time because we spend hours in the gym anyway. Um, And those other sessions only took less than 25. But take those sessions. That's where you focus on your nose and try and make sure that your breath is controlled in those elements and then leave the intensity Mm -hmm. for another time. And you'll still get intensity, but then you're also still getting the the adaption here too at the same time. So you can get the best of both worlds. Totally. Daniel. Uh,
0: How do you, one thing that's very interesting is that CrossFit is different from essentially any other sport that if you do, if you do a triathlon and you swim or you run, you do it for hours. So you kind of get into this uh, rhythm, but if you're in a CrossFit training session or competition, you switch between deadlift, rope climb, burpees, box jumps, wall balls, whatever, different lengths of movement. How do you handle your your breathing when you switch and you, you do some of these so quickly that you cannot just do one breath in, one breath out. Maybe you do one breath for the full movement, or how, how do you handle that? Uh,
1: Typically, yeah, that's a good question. Typically, depending on the type of movement, there are some movements where I would like to hold my breath for potentially five reps in a row. If mm-hmm. I go upside down and I go into a handstand push-up and, you know, there may be you know 10 reps in a in a particular round i will try and get majority of those done on one breath Hmm. but in essence pretty much for everything else that i do i'll usually go one breath per rep okay that's typically how i flow and then if it's say for instance like a pull-up that really expands and lengthens that diaphragm area it almost sucks the air back in for me and so i do do that through my mouth but then when i transition from pull-up say to deadlift I try and go straight back to nose okay. um, as much as possible. So, and then basically when I get to deadlift, it'll be basically breathe in, deadlift, breathe in and out, deadlift, breathe in and out, deadlift. So I'm only breathing once per rep. So I'm not try- I'm not hyperventilating myself. I'm keeping it nice and smooth and controlled. And typically the most controlled athletes out there are usually the ones that can sustain it for the correct period of time. Some people may take off and they may be ahead in the beginning but then you typically just chip away and then it also becomes a mental game as soon as they start seeing that oh that you know one round they're 10 reps behind the next round they're 8 the next round they're 5 the next round they're 1 you you start playing mind games at that point so uh, that's how I've learned to deal with it but being calm if you're out there and you look like you're in the absolute pain cave in the hurt locker it plays an even vaster it it makes you it makes you worse um if you can be cool calm and collected until the workout's done you'll probably finish in a better state than if you look like hell the whole time
0: yeah what would you say the top athletes in crossfit uh how many are into breathing like you like say the crossfit athletes or the ones that qualify the, the regional so to speak what you've seen
1: I would say, hmm, I would have to say maybe only, say, out of the top 30, uh, only probably two or three, maybe.
2: It's going to change when they watch this. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, honestly, it's it's definitely something that I think has had amazing benefit for me in recent years. Um, that The one thing that... I think, like, I wish I had gotten onto this a lot earlier because it did add such a good aspect of training, and it gave me such good resilience in in training effect, and also the ability to recover. At the moment, at the moment, like, I have so many other priorities. Like, I just love to surf at the moment, so I'm just surfing. I've sort of come to a point like, I, this will be my eleventh CrossFit season, and I'm kind of at the at the point where breathing breathing for specific you know high performance training i'm kind of leaning now more towards yeah i love to train i love to compete and i love to get out there but i would love to be able to adapt my breath to be able to you know probably handle handle the ocean more so and handle surfing it more so these days but i definitely think this is something that can help people improve their recovery improve their ability to maintain composure in workouts and like ultimately you're always fighting some type of muscular soft tissue damage somewhere this can only be beneficial if you can help to oxygenate that body and to help recover those tissues better so i definitely think it's 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 on its way for sure
2: i have two questions james i keep on in front of daniel (laughs)
1: sorry daniel
2: you go ahead no you go ahead patrick i'll take mine later on one question is you pay attention to your breathing during physical exercise and you talk about entering flow states whereby you're, you're in that state of total alertness, but relaxation, a lovely place to be. Mm-hmm. Many psychologists, they want their athletes to get to that state. And I don't think it's going to happen if the, if the athlete has dysfunctional breathing patterns and poor sleep, I think if they if their physiology is in that stress response and all you have to be doing is breathing a little bit faster and harder and you're in that increased sympathetic or stress response and a decreased relaxation response, do you pay attention to your breathing outside of your training? In other words, do you use breathing techniques outside of your training and to improve your breathing during your everyday? in order to improve your breathing during physical exercise? And the second one is that I would say that all of the things that you were doing are totally applicable for surf. Um, I'm an advisor with Laird Hamilton's XPT and yep. you're, you're obviously aware of Laird and the same breath hold techniques and they have protocols in the pool of going down the water, walking along the bottom with weights coming back up, a hyperventilation, breath holding, reduced breathing, nose breathing, pretty much what you're doing. So, uh, so yeah, good. it's transferable.
1: That's good. Well, I'm glad I'm on point. I wish, like, I would actually really love. I was almost going to book in and go and do the XPT course just for fun it's and brilliant. just to be able to experience it. Um, I have one slight issue with one of my ears. I I burst it. I perforated it surfing once, and now diving down more than twelve feet is like excruciating. So I have to practice. I've got to get back into a habit of practicing my regulation more so because now I have a decreased like air canal size Mm -hmm. so every time i go down too quickly it's excruciating it'll start to bleed and it's just not it's not a good time so i would like to practice it more but in terms of breath work that i like to do and i typically do this in the sauna and i do this in the float tank because uh, i love to float um always have um ever since probably 2012 and i do love to sit in my sauna um, so yeah, I definitely use those techniques, especially if I'm really wound up, especially at nighttime as well. All I'll do is I'll just go back to slow inhales, slow holds, slow exhales. And sometimes I won't even put a timer on it. I'll literally just go back to retention and relax relaxation. And I'll do it as long as feels necessary. So it's almost like intuitive breathing. So I'll breathe in nice and smooth until I'm comfortable and only to a certain point. And that could take eight seconds. And then I'll hold that breath as long as I feel like it's not excruciating and it could be five or it could be 15. And then I'll usually do a nice long exhale and that exhale could take 25 seconds or it could take 10 seconds. And I'll usually do this to calm myself. And I usually find by the time I've done it, like I'll do say 10 rounds of that. And typically by that point, I have fallen asleep. So that's usually something that I like to add into practice, especially if I'm really heightened or I'm stressed about something, or, you know, I've got the jitters from training and winding down and getting back into parasympathetic is very, very difficult. That's typically what I'll do.
2: Totally. And it's a great way to, to bring that balance in the autonomic nervous system, just for people who might be listening. When you're taking your, your breath in, you're, you said you're taking a smooth breath through the nose. It's not one of these necessarily full big breaths where you hear your breathing that you see in different studios. So you're breathing in very easy for, for about eight seconds, smooth, silent through the nose. And then you're holding your breath for a period of time. And then you have a really, really slow and relaxed exhalation for up to, I think you mentioned 25 seconds. You're having air hunger for a lot of that breath. That will be in contrast to somebody who might be breathing in for eight seconds, holding their breath for a period of time until they feel air hunger, and then getting rid of the breath as quickly as possible. And everything that you're doing is stimulating the vagus nerve. The breath hold is stimulating the vagus nerve, but also the breath hold is allowing oxygen to go from the lungs into the blood. The prolonged and slow and relaxed exhalation, of course, is increasing CO2, which stimulates the vagus nerve, but also... The prolonged exhalation stimulates the vagus nerve, which secretes a substance called acetylcholine, which I'm sure you're familiar with. This causes the heart rate to start slowing down. And when the heart rate is slowing down, the brain interprets that everything is safe. So it's almost that we change our breathing patterns to tell the brain about the environment around us. And you're relaxed in the sauna. You're having really, really slow breathing. You're changing your physiology and the brain is breathing that your physiology physiology is changing and your brain then will send signals of calm to the body. It's a very mm. simple hack. I can only yeah. imagine that there's plenty of people, they get stressed, they go into this fast, rapid breathing and they just go with the fast, rapid breathing without even realizing that you can change that. And you can you can alter the signaling to the brain by changing your
0: breathing. And that's what you're doing.
1: Yeah, I can see
0: James that you, you have an aura ring, right? have it on yeah so first off you get it in the um, i mean you can see improvements in your workouts but do you actually see what was talking about also like objectively can you see that when you increase your doses of breath training that your heart rate variability uh, increases as well
1: uh, yeah well typically i like to always look for and this is i can usually tell when i'm pretty beat down in the gym and if i've had high volume or if you know, something something has really triggered me or put me in a deficit. I can usually see, and I, lo- I love to look at it, yes, for the HRV, but I always just love to look at my resting heart rates on any given day. Like I might find that, oh, we've had some low days this week in terms of training volume, but then I'll look at my heart rate and it might be sitting seven beats a minute overnight more than normal. But then it's usually a delayed effect from last week, which was, you know, crazy high volume. And I'll be like, typically I'll be sitting, you know, say maybe, overnight I might get down to say mid, mid to low thirties, but then sometimes I can't get this thing down below 43, 44 beats a minute overnight. I like, okay, there's, there's some, there's some residual buildup of, of volume that my body is still trying to recover from. Just be aware of this. Um, and it might just be a, a it might just be a, a thought in my mind that I might just need to go and find parasympathetic, you know, two more times this week. Uh, for a little bit longer and that may help me Um, but 100% you definitely see benefits in your metrics Um, you definitely have better control you definitely do find that you can sustain low heart rate for you know more more time during the day and especially overnight and you can see it in the data too like it's it's pretty it's pretty phenomenal Um, and that's not even not even with a ton of extra physical activity it's just being able to be, be able to tap into that uh parasympathetic more often and the more you do it the better you you um become subconsciously it happens subconsciously mm-hmm. instead of you know having to go okay breathe through my nose it just happens and then you're there majority of the time even just sitting on the couch you can find parasympathetic if you're in tune with just naturally breathing through your nose more often
0: yeah, yeah i think it, it reinforces the habit if you if you see what you're doing is actually improving what you're doing you get an extra boost. Same with your CrossFit training, because for most people, that's why I think it's difficult, because they don't have necessarily an O-ring. They don't have the CrossFit feedback, the immediate feedback, and can see improvement. And when you don't feel improvement, maybe subjectively a little bit, maybe you you don't you know you don't continue to have it. So I think there's a time and place for these measurements. Maybe not focus too much, but at the same time, you need them to see that you're you're going the right way.
1: Absolutely. And this is what Brian was really good at. He was very, very good at explaining to me the reasons why we wanted to do it. And I was like, okay, just let me know what I need to do. Let me know what what I should expect to see and feel. And he would just be like, okay, try this, try this, try this. I would give feedback. I would give him my data, data points and results. And he would be like, perfect. We're on track. Let's increase here. Let's tweak this. Let's give you an extra set here. Let's get you reaching, instead of reaching aerobic threshold now after retesting your, your, um, your we, so we would do it. Actually, we would do a test and you'd be interested in knowing this test as well. We basically would start on the assault bike. We would start off at 52 RPMs and then mm-hmm. we would take a heart rate measurement and we would go nose only for as long as we could. Every minute, we would up it by two RPMs and we would also take a heart rate measurement there and it may go up by five beats a minute, five beats a minute, five beats a minute. And then out of nowhere, you would get a 12 beats a minute spike. And then we would we would circle that one. And then we would continue. And it'd be like three beats a minute, four beats a minute, three beats a minute. four beats a minute. And then you'd get another spike, nine beats a minute. Then we would circle that area. And every time we would do this ramp test, we would then get new metrics and new data points. And would be like, okay, cool. You held nose only, the first time you did this up until 27 beats a minute. You're now holding those only up to 163 beats a minute, okay? And you're not getting these spikes until later on. So now my spikes wouldn't be happening at, say, 27. Now they're happening at 38 and 64 rather than 27 and 42. So these types of data points I thought were very interesting to me and it gave me some physical metrics that I could go, cool, you're improving. Good job. Keep going. Like, this is great. This is what you need.
0: Did you ever measure your max pulse and how, how long it took to drop down, let's say a minute as a benchmark to see, I mean, in CrossFit, I think that's crucial to you get so high up that how fast can you come down? Cause now you're, you're going the other way. So did you ever measure
1: that? Yeah. So the, the point uh, for me to reset each one of these efforts. So the five efforts on the 32nd max, the four efforts on the seven minutes, um, I think we started off with four by six minutes, and then we increased it to four by seven minutes. Eventually, I would not be allowed to start the next set until my heart rate dropped below 100 beats a minute. Okay, um, that was that was the test, and I do have these results somewhere. I can't remember off the top of my head, but over time it did get quicker. I, I know that for sure. But I do have the results somewhere, which I'll try and find for you guys too. Yeah,
0: that, that'd be great. And did you what type of breathing uh, did you do? to drop your, your heart rate? Was it just prolonged nasal breathing on exhale?
1: Yeah, it was literally just an intuitive nasal breath. Breathe, breathe as needed through the nose um, up until you could then start to take back control naturally of the breath. Um, so it, if I needed to breathe quickly through my nose for the initial phases of that recovery period, I would do that. But then as soon as, as, soon as um, comfortably possible, I would then revert back to long inhales Um, And then long exhales again, which then became easier under stressful volume too, Um, which I also then took as, okay, you're becoming more, you're becoming more adapted to this, to this CO2 than you were before, because typically a lot of people get a little bit of CO2 and it's a freak out moment, um, Mm. which happened to me um, Mm. for, for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, every time we wanted a new stimulus, it would happen again, slightly, we would make the test harder. we would make the training a little bit harder so then i would still get that stress factor to try and promote the change and then basically from there we would just get it to a point until it was time to get ready for competition and go out and compete Mm
0: -hmm. that's That's fantastic i think that so right now what do you do the same amount of breath work as you did a few years ago or more or less uh, on any given week
1: any given week, I definitely do less. I I do less dynamic, but I do breathe every day. So mm. I'll always keep my I'll always keep my cadence breath as my staple that I like to do regardless whether it's ten minutes or five minutes. I will always do some cadence breathing every day. When I'm getting prepared for competition, then I'll start to structure some dynamic work. But if I'm doing if I'm doing uh, anything mono structural in my training, if I'm getting on you know the C two bike out in the gym for 60 minutes, I'm only nose breathing. That's, that's just a staple piece of work. So even if I go for a run, I have a loop, literally I have the beach just out here and I have a loop that's six kilometers. I'll always do that nose only. There's not a point where I'll run through my mouth unless I'm doing like a mile time trial or something like that, where it's like you're in the Hurt Locker, um, you know, or like a, like a 5K, a 5K four time. I'll start out nose only, But then when I have to revert, I'll revert. Um, But if I'm doing just, you know, uh, 70% max heart rate work, only nose. And, you know, I could stop doing the hard training now and still come back and be able to do 70% nose only any time. I wouldn't have to work hard at doing that. And I would probably still be able to really push myself if I wanted to do, say, nine or 10 second cadence breath work for 10 minutes. Mm. So so you would
0: say you you would do in a normal tough workout, like say 10 or 15 minutes of intense workout. How how much of that workout would you do when you train via the nose?
1: I would say probably at least, well, I don't like to go to red line every single day. So I'd probably say at least 50%. And that 50% wouldn't be the first 50% of the workout. It would be say the first maybe 30% 30% of the workout, but then for the periods during the last part, I would find areas where I need to regain control, and that might be a transition period, walking from that bar to that bar, or walking from there to there, which I'll regain time in nose breathing. But if I'm doing a monostructural, if I'm doing a monostructural piece of equipment in a metcon that requires gymnastics and getting upside down on my hands, um, but there's also a proponent of say rowing or ski erg or um, assault bike on those elements i'm nose breathing for sure back getting back into getting back in control regaining and if there's a five rounder and you can find 45 to 60 seconds where you can get back to nose breathing you're doing that every single round and then when you you go back to your your crazy gymnastics where you're climbing a a climbing a rope and then getting you know doing handstand walking okay you can save that time to do your mouth breathing um, because you're in all sorts of discomfort and uh, craziness, um, but then when you go back, you then find peace again.
0: I think the fantastic answer, because I think these are the specific answers you need to understand that when you use certain, uh, when you do certain exercises, you can nose breathe. Some are much tougher. So you you don't think uh, if you're a crossfitter that you try to do it all the time because it's more difficult maybe doing push-ups versus a rowing machine. And these are the specifics you need to work. And also when you, when you switch in between sets and reps and all that, how you do it, I think those are uh, great answers because I think also from my own experience, you suffer not only in that workout, but also the day after. If you mouth breathe too much, it causes a little bit of trauma. You can see your heart rate variability go down and the next day you can't train 100%. So you have to think not only about that day, but also for the next day and the whole week. So um, I think those, Patrick, those are fantastic answers. Mm -hmm. that's, so you have to really dial in very specifically of how you do it. And, you know, it's not 100% here or or zero here, but it's a a mix and certain days you go nose breathing only, some 50-50, certain exercises. So you have to specify that so I think that is, that is how you get into it because if you just say
1: nose breathe, it will be too, too tough mm-hmm. and people will yeah. just not do it. Exactly. I think you definitely have to be intuitive with this type of stuff. And I think when, when sometimes these are explained, people, the immediate thought in someone's mind is, so I have to do everything through my nose and they try it once and think, yep. I'm not doing that. I can't yep. get any intensity. If I can't get any, any intensity, I'm not going to do well. And it's like, okay, yeah, probably right. But yeah. you do have elements. You can work it in as long as you're maybe educated or taking the time or you're being coached by someone who knows what they're talking about. I was very lucky to have Brian who knew his shit. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was cool for me to be, get exposed to that. Um, another really cool thing I remember, and this is a stat, as I say, from before, like almost a comparison, I remember, I remember I was in Bali probably 2015 and I wanted to do a max breath hold. And I think my all-time record for breath hold, and I did this with a couple of friends uh, and my partner in the pool and I just did a top of the water breath hold. I had them around me so there was no chance of shallow water blackout. Um, so just letting everyone know that. Do
2: is <laughs> an important point. Um,
1: <laughs> yes. And I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I just took a couple of deep breaths and then just went under the water and just kind of sat there like stale on top of the water. Three minutes, three oh one or something like that. Um, then I was in isolation earlier in the year after a bobsled training camp, and I was in hotel quarantine uh, in Adelaide here. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do some. I'm going to do some some breath work in my bed every morning. I'm going to do some some uh, more so. Inhale releases. I'm going to do 30 reps of inhale release. I'm going to release all my air and then I'm going to hold it out as long as possible without feeling the urge to breathe again. And I'm going to repeat this for four rounds every morning. And so I went on and did this and I would do my, basically my hyperventilation portion and and get oxygen up. And then I would let it all go and keep it out and see how long I could hold. I started off and I would get around two minutes um, on my breath out, get to around about two minutes, feel like I need to breathe and then start my next round. I did this. And then every day for the 14 days that I did it, I would get a little bit longer. Some days would drop back by maybe 10 seconds and I would never look at the clock. I would always do it in my head. So I didn't have any gauge. Mm. And then, so slowly it climbed up and then I was getting to three minutes with the breath out. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like before I would take a breath in and get to three minutes. Now I can do it on a breath out after 30 hyperventilation breaths. I wonder how far I could go if I did a hyperventilation and then breathed in and then held, see how long I could, you know, just overall hold, mm. given the best circumstances, laying, laying in my bed. And so this is the funny thing. And this goes back to what you said about your mind then becoming calm in the situation. And it's almost like when you have that uh, CO2 and that influx, you almost get into that calmed, calm state. I did this. The first three minutes was medium. It wasn't hard. It wasn't easy, but it was nothing. But then from three minutes to five minutes, 30, nothing. Didn't feel a thing. Time went quicker than I'd ever expected. I literally looked at the clock at three minutes and thought, hmm, I'm probably only going to get four minutes here. The next time I looked at the clock, five minutes, 40. It's like time just flew past. Didn't even realize, made it to six minutes oh two, two. and I was literally just like I was blown away. I was like, "Hmm, this is not right." Did I like pass out or? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe (laughs) (laughs) it can happen. Yes, but it can only happen
2: if you do hyperventilation beforehand. That's why it's a good idea to do it lying down in your bed because at least if your blood oxygen
1: saturation drops, you can uh, you can recover. Did you have a pulse
0: oximeter on there, James? Did you ever use a pulse, uh, pulse oximeter?
1: I did. Yes, I did for sure. So. I was using a pulse oximeter for um, <clears throat> for some of this training as well. Brian had me use one. Um, I can't remember exactly what I would be aiming to, but there were some types of training that he would try and have me holding within certain ranges of mm. blood sats. Um, that was a really cool thing. I also used to use a... Um, an altitude machine that i would basically wear a mask for i would bring down my blood sats to a particular percentage and i would just sit there and just breathe on that mm. for 40 minutes 50 minutes 60 minutes i never did it overnight i never did it overnight because i never wanted to affect my recovery in the night time as much mm. um, but i did do it say post post um post long aerobic nasal session i might do say 50 minutes of nose breathing at a very aerobic pace, 50 to 60% effort, and then go and sit on the oxygen machine, bring my blood sats down to maybe uh, low 80s, say 80 to 85% mm-hmm. blood yeah, sets yeah. or whatever it may be. It's and, then sit there, yeah, and then sit there for maybe 40 minutes mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then go from there. But it was, I remember I did have some, some metrics on that. Can't exactly remember what they were, but mm-hmm. I have done that before.
2: Yeah, we use the pulse ox a lot. I think it's important. Uh, Daniel was talking about motivating earlier on, but even just from a safety point of view, because we want people to, normal blood oxygen saturation is between 95 to 99%. When you go below 91%, you're going into hypoxia. When you go below 88%, you're going into severe hypoxia. In the low 80s, you're fine. If you go into the 70s, you can get a bit disoriented. If you go into the 60s and the 50s, there's a risk of passing out. Now, normally you won't pass out If you just hold your breath after normal breathing, the time that you can pass out is if you hyperventilate and you blow off so much carbon dioxide and that's the alarm to breathe. So if you hyperventilate and then you breathe out and hold your breath, you don't feel any sensation to breathe. So you can hold your breath for a long, 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 long time, but that's sufficient for your oxygen saturation to drop very low. and without warning. So your point about underwater blackout is, is absolutely crucial Um, never to hyperventilate and get into the pool doing breath holds it's crazy stuff but uh yeah, yeah it's great james we're going to draw to a close because we we're so grateful right. for your time and it's, fantastic. Um, it's been I, brilliant
0: yeah. yeah yeah i i think the the i i see uh, 10 topics that i would like to continue on i just uh, <laughs> so many things but I, I just had one final question and it's more generic like you 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 use these breath uh, exercises for CrossFit and also for surfing, but have you noticed also uh, a difference for you in your personal life and also in terms of sleep? Because I know that's the thing about breathing; it's, it's it's incorporated in everything you do. So what you do for CrossFit has other applications in life. So has that improved as well uh, for you? Uh, anything else uh, besides sports?
1: Yeah, um, honestly. And, and this probably is something that probably wasn't at the top of my mind. This is not something that I thought was going to be the result of breath work, but it's literally just a more relaxed demeanor in day-to-day life. Mm. It helps you to not freak out about small things. Someone cuts you off in traffic. It's not so, you're not heightened about that. Um, you can approach conversations in a more relaxed fashion. It's It's literally just taking you down a peg or bringing you back to just, you know, level again, instead of just being that heightened, heightened over mouth breather all the time. That's, you know, just erratic, erratic, erratic. Um, I think that's a big, I think that's a big bonus of this type of work. I definitely find that I'm a lot more relaxed in day-to-day life, but then also, yes, my sleep in particular is much, much better. Uh, Trying to work on that sleep hygiene as we like to call it, um, with the guys that I work with at Under Armour and they love the breath work too. Like that's, you know, f- for them, this is like one of their most intriguing, like their most are intriguing Are you working with Mike Watts? I certainly no. am.
2: You are. Actually, <laughs> was, Mike, is, Mike, Mike is one of our
1: instructors as well. Yeah. I was on a phone call with him <laughs> earlier today.
2: <laughs> that's mad. God, it's a small world.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. Well, actually I was, when I first met the guys over there at the performance center, um, He said to me, he goes, oh, so what do you do for recovery? And I was like, I love breath work. And he's like, no way. (laughs) And yeah, and then we, yeah,
2: yeah, we're total breath nerds, James, because we, we were the ones that were on the fringes for two decades and even, and you know, what really has surprised me, why have sports medicine scientists in all of the universities throughout the world, there's only been a handful of them that have had any interest in breathing. It's, it's just because you can imagine all of these strength and conditioning coaches coming out of universities in sports medicine for recovery, for sleep, for prevention of injury, functional breathing and functional movement go together, and they haven't delved into it. So the innovations have happened with individuals like myself, with Brian, with other people, with Daniel, helping to put it out there. And then athletes, the early adopters like yourself, who have taken it on board and you've run with it and i think it's tremendous i've been uh, i've been waiting 20 years to see this happen so it's been absolutely amazing so oh, so kudos hello. to you
1: and fair play i'm glad i'm glad i'm glad to help spread the word um i think it's good for everybody and if anyone talks to me about it then i'm i'm always advocating for it so hopefully it uh hopefully it becomes more mainstream great stuff thanks very much james thank you so
0: much james